Listen, I don't want to interfere with your business. I'm not a cop. I'm from the University of Illinois. Um, I'll just get out of your way. Hey, come on, let me go. Look, you're not being very smart. My colleagues know where I am and they're expecting me back. Now let me go. I hear you looking for Candyman, bitch. Everybody, welcome to Generation Loss, this podcast about movies. Podcast about movies. The one, the only one. <laughs> <laughs> that should just be our copy. I don't ever want to like. No, nah, we we're never. I don't ever want to drill it down any further than the podcast about movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could like. I mean, you can't really s- put into like succinct, like catchy thing like. We have this perspective, and we're coming at it from the like. Yeah, who, who gives even a the, shit? the most I've ever drilled it down is still way too many sentences. <laughs> yeah. So whatever, man. It's fucking generation. You'll loss. figure it out. You'll figure it out. It's about movies, if and you're it's here, me and your family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the classic mafia tagline. Yeah. If you're here, <laughs> your family. Well, you know, people don't really realize this, but um, the the expression "la cosa nostra." actually mm. translates to when you're here your family <laughs> people also don't know that uh the classic expression prima nocta mm. translates to the night is the best <laughs> <laughs> that is correct <laughs> um. all right brain what did you watch this week? what have i watched this week this week i watched uh knives out Yes. Um, yes. Beautiful. Because I don't really have anything. <laughs> but I have a lot to say about Knives Out, so this will carry us for a while. Good, yeah, we'll be good. Um, no, I watched Knives Out this week. Um, mm-hmm. Jeremy, I think, did the the valiant attempt of watching a lot of the Oscar-nominated films before the Oscars. Yeah. I always wait till after. I don't know why. But it's mostly because I'm lazy and I don't care that much. Sure, and if something like bombs out and like doesn't win anything, then you know that it's like... Yeah. Like Little Women, for example, I, I actually now watch. know that I don't have to see. <laughs> and and yes, of course, for those listening at home, it is because I hate women. But also That's it's true. because I don't want to watch it. And now that I know that it didn't win a goddamn thing, that it was just there as a seat filler that people felt like they needed to give it to somebody. So yeah, it, it, it was it, it was anything. It was liberal id poll <laughs> that it got nominated for anything. Yeah. No, I don't know. I haven't. Seen I don't know. I don't I'm know. not going to watch. Hey, it. I'm, I'm not. I'm not out here to speculate. <laughs> I'm just here to tell you it didn't win a goddamn thing. That's right, and it didn't deserve it. <laughs> Actually, maybe it did. Did it get costumes? It might have gotten costumes. Who cares? Point is, is hey, I watch. I love costumes. <laughs> That's what I watch a movie for. Classic Jeremy being a misogynist and not a homophobe. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what a fun character costumes. to be, though. <laughs> the misogynist who loves costumes. 
<laughs> Me, I love a dress. I hate what's in it. I actually only like drag because it's misogynist. <laughs> I only like drag because there's men. <laughs> yeah, that fucking Carmen Carrera bitch being a woman and trying to infiltrate drag. <laughs> this is a space for men only. <laughs> Wow, we there's dresses and there's fellas in them. <laughs> Sign me up. Finally, I could look at a pretty dress without hearing all that yap, 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 yap. Damn, what an invention! These queers are really onto something. Oh, no. <laughs> oh boy! All right, knives all right. out. Anyway, knives out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so what did you think of Knives Out? I was very pleasantly surprised by Knives Out. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people told me... Let's see, I'm trying to think of who even told me anything about it. Um, I had some friends tell me that it was fine. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, it was fine. It, I, I think one of the most common things I heard about it was that it was a sort of... Um, halfway a murder mystery and halfway a political commentary and mm, and that sure that didn't really do either one fantastically yeah um and so i kind of went in with that expectation that it would be a sort of middle of the road murder mystery and as someone who really likes agatha christie and murder mysteries in general right um i was expecting to be underwhelmed with that side of it and then i was also expecting it to be sort of like a pretty lib take on whatever it was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised that it was neither of those things. Yeah. I w- thought that the mystery was in very well um, constructed. I thought it did a, a really great job of subverting a lot of the tropes of, of and like pitfalls of a lot of murder mysteries. Um, and then tying that really well with what it was trying to say. Because I feel right. like it wasn't a metaphor. It was just a movie ab- about a murder mystery based upon the foundational premise of rich people are all evil mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's all there was no other yeah. commentary that's exactly what i was gonna say is that i don't necessarily think that i would call knives out a commentary at no. all because i don't think it's necessarily trying to say anything that it doesn't already believe mm-hmm. that's what i think it is is it's kind of a movie that is a murder mystery that takes place in a world where we all understand mm-hmm. rich people are bad <laughs> right exactly there's no preachiness to yeah exactly it. There, it's not trying to convince you of that it's taking for granted that you know yeah which is very surprising very cool <laughs> <laughs> it's very cool but i was also surprised by it mm-hmm. i was like because because there was cause, so the movie begins and you are uh, you know, there these are a bunch of rich families, and there's the very Republican Trump supporter people. Mm-hmm. One's literally a Nazi, and they call him a Nazi. And then there's like the, their political positioning is like revealed very early on. Yeah. Like the the young woman, the the sort of niece or whatever, Tony Collette's daughter, calls the other kid a a Nazi. Right. And then they're like calling each other SJWs and snowflakes. It's mm-hmm. like very. Of the time. As yeah, a exactly. Fact, That's what I was going to say. Is it, it, it very much feels like it exists now in the world that we live in where, right. like, I don't know what it's like, you know, in your, your family scenarios, but, like, when I'm with my family, like, these things are, like, like people wear their politics like open wounds now. Yeah. Like, nobody has any sort of, like semblance of hiding what they think about. So, I mean, nobody's modest about who they support anymore. Right. And... Nor should they be. I think it's much better with this out in the open. Right. Uh, the, I mean, 
my family is probably weird in that they don't know what they're talking about and don't want to talk about it with me because they mm-hmm. know what that I know what I'm talking about. Right. Um, and but my um, boyfriend's uh, family is very all like they're very liberal and they're like we hate the orange Cheeto mm-hmm. and they like didn't you know <laughs> like are very open about it. Like right. literally the toast at Thanksgiving was like, let's impeach him. You know, like <laughs> it feels very weird because, you know, like people are very out in the open about this. But I was also surprised because Knives Out is, I thought it was a parody piece. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I guess just because of the way Daniel Craig is shot in the trailer. I thought he was like supposed to be from the 50s or whatever. Yeah. But it's not a period piece. It's, it takes place right now and it feels like it takes place right now politically and all the acting. Um so you're presented with this family and it's like, well, here's the Trump people and here are the liberals that you're supposed to identify with. Mm-hmm. And then the movie very quietly turns on you and it's like, no, these people are evil too. Yeah, no, The ones you're bad. identifying <laughs> with, they're evil. Yeah, and the only good person maybe is like, I mean, outside of like, obviously like the, the working class people are, are all good. Right. Uh, and then Daniel Craig is like, maybe good. But only because he's like fighting for. He her. takes the right side. Yeah, and and he's and he, we don't really know much about him. Right, and he's a uh, so Daniel Craig is a hired hand. He's sort of the he's basically the Sherlock Holmes of the story, and he says you know he asked to tag along as a private investigator with the cops and sort of give it a once over. And his thing is like I don't care I don't care what the sides are I just care about the truth. He, and that's that's all I want. Yeah. And so through the truth, it's that he realizes by any sort of earnest investigation that you come upon is all of these, all of this family is evil. Literally, no one doesn't have blood on their hands, and the only good person in this scenario is, um, Marta, mm. the uh, caretaker for the dad who dies. Um, and what's great about the movie is it tells you who kills him in the opening scene. So you're like, wait, what's the mystery? And right. it keeps like subverting the concept of a murder mystery where it's like, this isn't a who done it, but then it's like, well, who did this though? Yeah. Why is why is this building on fire? It's like a who why done it. Yeah, exactly. And I th- <laughs> <laughs> Yes. A how done it. Yeah. Um and I thought that was very clever, honestly. I I was yeah. very impressed with the writing. I thought it I thought, you know, it sets up this who done it and then it's like Oh no, we're gonna tell you exactly what happens, and then you're like, "But did it? Yeah, is this part of someone else's scheme?" And then I thought that was really all very clever. And then I don't think I can really spoil it because the the ending is doesn't matter. But it 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 doesn't matter how he died. It matters who profited, right? Right. And so that's sort of what you're trying to realize is that like. All of this can only... I love that the detective, his whole thing was like, who stands to benefit? Right. And that's how you should approach everything in the media, of everything course. in politics. Everything everywhere is always going to be answered by who benefits. Yeah, exactly. It's never going to not be... That's never not going to be the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who profits financially? And this is a movie that looks at a problem, something that doesn't well, look like a crime. Who profits financially or who profits in power. Like, gaining power or, or you know... Um, like positioning or whatever, but it's it's always it's always right to question who benefits from it because it's almost never going to be like something bad doesn't happen because somebody stands to lose something from it. Yes, yeah. or it was a bumbling accident. Or right, whatever. it's never that. It's always somebody has a plan and someone is trying to get power or money or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or that's always the same thing generally, and that was sort of its that's its outlook. 
is a movie that understands that innately and then it's not really a metaphor it's not like it's not like oh this person represents this media person or politician it's just like they kind of have like the the spread of the political spectrum from nazi to like liberal but all of those people are treated as terrible people yeah and the only person is the oppressed working class person who has stands to lose their mother to ice right um and yeah, the absolute balls of this movie. Yeah, to like to have somebody who they openly say is a Nazi, mm-hmm. who does almost nothing, does right. almost nothing for the whole movie, but they just say like, "Oh, that guy's a Nazi," also, but everyone does something bad, basically, except right. except for like him and like maybe one other person. Like, but mostly it's just like these political views of all these rich people are purely aesthetic in nature. Like this doesn't matter. What matters is rich versus poor. Because what you think the movie is going to be, and what I was afraid the movie was going to be is that it's like the assholes of the family against the empathetic ones mm-hmm. of the family. And the movie allows you to believe that from, I think that's what's so clever about the movie is that it allows you to believe that the sides are, the bleeding heart libs who care for this person and think they're she's a part of the family, the caretaker, right, Marta, and the assholes who want it for themselves. And as the lines are drawn in the sand, you find that the solidarity is with the family, yeah. and all of the family agrees with each other that they all deserve the money and they will handle it themselves. Right. Um, and as each of them gets threatened, even the further left there is, they all join with would join with each other even though there's a nazi among them yeah there's they don't care they're all uh, protecting their own bottom line as as they build towards that too like the movie kind of has a um it's almost like a falling down type of quality to it in a way yeah like or at least the way that people like to think of falling down as a um (laughs) as a movie that tests your limits as an audience member as a movie that kind of like says, so you identify with with this character, yes. you like this character, especially how the- far can I push you? And in this, like you, you're supposed to be looking at the libs and being like, yeah, they're like me, they're like smart, they're nice, you know, whatever. But then like they hand a dirty plate to the nurse, you know. There's yeah. like these little moments where you're like, well, she's not a maid. Yeah, that's a different thing. <laughs> She's a nurse. She like went to school for a long time. <laughs> and Marta just like consistently eats it and is mm-hmm. kind and is always trying to be a good person and just figure out what's happened yeah. until you find out what her role in this whole thing has been. And she's just like, I have nothing else to lose except like, like she's just constantly trying to do the right thing and is fucked up by all of these terrible people. Yeah. Um, And it's funny because like, you keep moving more and more, I guess, quote unquote, left in the uh, among the characters until the last person to really turn on her turns on her the worst. Yeah, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but the the young... yeah, that's actually something that you should not spoil. Yeah, um, <laughs> we're generally like a pro spoiler. I'm pro spoiler, but that's something that I think is very good to have not spoiled. For this you. movie, I think, is a murder mystery. The point of it is you don't want to know what this ending is because you want to figure it out yourself. Right. Most movies are not murder mysteries or like have specific twists or things like this. So usually it's fine to spoil it <laughs> because there's no spoiling. It's just talking about the plot. Yeah. But this movie, I would say, it is actually spoiling it if I told you the ending and I'm not going to. Right. Um, But there is some very... It, it, in terms of the construction of a murder mystery, 
and the construction of 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 a political metaphor um you're consistently turned on by every person who is not the most oppressed working class person and it's genius yeah i was so surprised by this movie what did you think of daniel craig loved daniel craig yeah i'm a big fan of daniel craig generally Uh um i liked him since like uh what the fuck is that movie lucky number Mm Slevin or whatever no layer cake Okay. Um, like I've always liked Daniel Craig. I think he's a good actor. Yeah. I think he's fun to watch. Um, and in this movie, I I feel like the movie sets up. I didn't know he had this accent, even from the trailer. I don't know. Oh right. I didn't yeah. Even, so so for folks at home who haven't seen the movie yet, Daniel Craig plays this kind of detective character. He's a PI who tags along with the cops, like we said before. But the thing to know about his character is he's kind of like. Um, they they call him like the last of the gentleman detectives, yeah. <laughs> and he's like he's he he ex- part of what makes it so fun is that the movie is so modern and everything exists now, but he is a relic of this like <laughs> bygone era that it's not even clear when <laughs> like it's supposed to be right. From. Is it the antebellum South? Yeah, or what is like... it? <laughs> but he's kind of like a Tom Wolfe esque sort of character where he's just like a fine dress dandy who talks like foghorn leghorn yeah and it rules (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny what's really fun though and i was talking to um alex about this the other day is that uh like i don't think his accent is good at all who cares (laughs) i think it's actually really bad but the mark of like a truly compelling performance i think to me is is that your accent sucks and i don't care Right, like that. Uh, that I can get so far past it that I've completely stopped thinking about it, <laughs> and it just doesn't affect the performance for me. At well, all. I don't know if I've ever actually met anybody who really talked like that. Mm-hmm. Like that, as far as I'm concerned, is a cartoon character. Right. Like he's he's playing a very abstracted. Like I've never met someone who was like, "Yo, let's go to Target." Mm-hmm. You know, like. <laughs> uh, that's not how people talk as far sure. as, and I lived in the South. Yeah. Um, that's my, I, maybe I didn't need to live in Louisiana or something. I don't really know. I think it's like an old time version of it too. Like in the same way as like a, yeah, see, like sort of yeah. voice like doesn't exist anymore. And I think the, the, but the f- thing about his accent that I think is that I don't think that it's bad in that, like it doesn't make sense or that it's too cartoony or whatever. I think it's bad, like on a very technical acting level where like, I think he actually drops it a lot. Like I think oh. he doesn't, do it very consistently but <laughs> really? i don't care because i think that he just like kicks so much ass as a performer <laughs> that like you just completely lose track of it. i felt i think for the first 15 minutes it's all i could think about and then once we were kind of like into the plot it was off to the race once he actually it's important for him to uh, emote mm-hmm. and like give across some sort of like something that matters i it wasn't distracting to me. Yeah. I, I felt that it was very funny when it needed to be. It was like fun to watch. And it was like, why is there a cartoon character in this very normal group of people? Or not normal. I mean, but like relatable. Like, you right. know, people who are this rich. Yeah. Like mildly rich. Like their grandfather has $60 million. <laughs> I feel like I've met that person. Right. You know, like yeah. they're not, they're not like extravagantly like billionaires. Mm-hmm. 
but this whole family is splitting this kind of thing and so it feels very grounded in reality and then Daniel Craig is like this very strange otherworldly person and it's funny to watch for a while but then as soon as he needs to be a real person and talk to Marta and like have this sort of seriousness it's there and I feel like I'm with him as a as a human yeah Um, it's what separates him from a character like um were you King of the Hill fan Oh yeah, like you remember I like uh, the Hill. episodes of the Shield Bear. That's uh, oh the like, what's his name? It's uh, Bill's cousin from <laughs> New Orleans. Oh yeah, and he's got that like kind of dandy character who just like shows up and like he calls Bobby like Young Master uh, Robert. Yeah, <laughs> and he's got all these like fantastical turns of phrase. Like somebody asked him like, "How do you think the Saints are going to do this year?" Now I know much more of sinners than saints, <laughs> and sinners. Always look good. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's like, but it's uh, like, it's the difference between like that and Daniel Craig is is these little moments where he does drop the act, and you realize that that's kind of his public persona, but that privately he does have a real like actual self. Yeah, some sort of a human. But it's funny because like there are moments I don't really know how he does it because it's like. Maybe it's just less. Maybe he's like quote dropping it less, like to a to an extent that feels reasonable when he says things like this. But when he's like, sort of near the end, when he's like, "Marta, you have like, you have a pure heart," and it like he's definitely saying hot, but mm-hmm. it like it doesn't feel weird. He's yeah. just like you're in the emotion of the scene, and so it it works. So for me, that didn't bother me. Um, I thought it was great, and the idea that there will be another series of these kinds of things. Oh would, yeah, what do you think about that? They're gonna make more of them. I think that as long as they don't m- miss the idea that what makes Knives Out good is being from the base of class consciousness, mm-hmm. like just. L- this is written from a perspective that class matters and rich people will never side with the poor. They will always protect their own. Um, then yes, let him solve more mysteries. Mm-hmm. I don't even care if the mystery is as good as the first one. Right. I think as long as you do how if that's what the character represents is a guy who's like investigating these disturbances among um, the class and sort of making these sort of grand points about like, these people are all awful and that's what knives out is as a series i think that's fantastic yeah but i mean i don't i don't need to see daniel craig foghorn leghorn around any mystery you know like who cares i kind of want to see him do like if i was going to do anything with this series going forward i would love to see it become just like a scooby-doo like I would love to see him just solve a like the next one is like a haunting or something like that. <laughs> that would be amazing. It'd be really great. Just drop all of like the the social consciousness all together, and it's just like there's a spooky old house and there's a ghost in it. So we're gonna need you to go. Well, there's uh, that. Take a look. There's that meme that like Scooby Doo is always like a ghost and it's always a white old man protecting yeah. their money. Well, and it's so, always the other person that you met in the episode. Right. But it's always somebody trying to like hold on to their insurance money mm-hmm. or whatever it is. It's always yeah, or like motivated they're by sell profit. the land or something like that. Yeah, you're right. It is always somebody who's trying to Yeah. So Folks, you could, it's always just who stands to benefit. Exactly. You don't have to do all the running around. <laughs> you don't have to like pull a mask off of anybody like 
all that Scooby Doo ass shit, those episodes could be five minutes long. <laughs> but the I, Ghost Miner Forty Nine er, who do you think it is? It's the guy who owns the gold mine. <laughs> <laughs> Why else would it be? Yeah. So I thought it was great. I thought it was a honestly probably one of my personal favorite movies of last year. Yeah, I, was, I would definitely put it up there i think in terms of like what we were hoping for at the oscars i would have been more pro knives out because i think it was super fun to watch i want to watch it again like it was a a really well-constructed movie looks great all the acting is great like marta is incredible yeah like her we haven't even talked about the acting but like everyone's fantastic uh is it christopher uh or who's the older man shit i forget his name that actor was really good um daniel craig was really good um yeah everyone was fantastic it looks great it's written really well and i think politically it's a rare movie that i was like that's really refreshing yeah and it wasn't mind-blowing it's not gonna like but i do think it's great i like i think it's great to see a refreshing movie that has a political stance yeah and it's not preachy it's not trying to be like you know solidarity forever which also would be nice but i mean it's not preachy it's It's the opposite of solidarity forever it's (laughs) solidarity among the rich is what right exactly but i'm now realizing that like it's a major theme of film this year is yeah like class reality between parasite parasite is about class knives out is not about class but it's very class conscious uh joker Joker. In spite yeah. of all its faults. <laughs> it, it, it's trying to do something. It's trying to do something. I think it fails, uh, but... You and I differ on this opinion, but I think The Lighthouse is absolutely about class. I think you can read it in there. I mean, I don't know if it's intended, but who cares? Ford v. Ferrari? I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, I thought you were serious. I, don't know, I haven't seen it. <laughs> but, you know, a Ford is like a... You know that's not a that's not a rich man's truck. I think it's... I a think... Ferrari truck? Let me tell you, fancy truck. <laughs> that's ve- That's true. And then there's all the, yeah, the squabbling between Ford versus Chevy. Yeah. You know, I'd rather uh, rather push a Chevy than drive a Dodge. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, it's funny because if you read about, like, what was happening during World War II, like, when the Nazis, like, everything was about it. Like, you couldn't. You couldn't have media that didn't mention that, like, the war was going on. That, right, like, yeah. Hitler was out there being mean to Jews. Like, that's how it feels. Like, everything kind of has to take a stance. And it's like, yeah, of course. We're in the middle of, like, fascism. <laughs> sure, but, I mean, even more interesting than that is, like, seeing how this election is shaping up. Like, the more and more messaging that comes out, the more it's becoming clear that, like, this is a referendum on class. Yes. Like, that's what people are voting about now is like, this is going to be a question of, are we going to let billionaires run away with our life or not? Yeah. Everything from, you know, television and film and video games to the actual politics of America and Imperial Corps is like, can we beat this? Yeah. And, Do we uh, even want to beat this? Right. And I think lots of people are seeing it my way. <laughs> a lot of people are seeing it our way, but I do wonder, like, there's a lot of people I've talked to recently. Like, I was at my um, psychiatrist's office the other day, uh-huh. and they, they always have on, like, the Channel 7 just playing as in the waiting room, right? And there was a Bloomberg commercial that came on, and the news talked about Bloomberg. 
and I just kind of like kept an eye on everybody to see kind of how everybody reacted to it. People are like dogs. Their fucking ears like perk up and they look up to the screen and they're like, th- they're enticed by Bloomberg. And it's like fucking wild. That's horrifying. But people are enticed by Trump too. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this isn't a political show, but it's he's, not, not he, at all. He's worse than Trump, is my opinion. Yeah. Bloomberg is worse than Trump. Do not let anyone tell you otherwise. Do not let libs be like, but what about the Supreme Court? No, he's worse. He's worse. He will be way worse. He'll put in worse people in the Supreme Court. Your wildest nightmares of what could happen in another four Trump years are absolutely within the realm of believability of what he would do as well. Way worse, yeah. If not worse. You don't I mean he's just more like he's more savvy. He'll kill more people and you'll he will you won't hear about it. Yeah. Like cuz he controls the media, he knows how to do things. He's just way better at it. And they're friends. They're both on the fucking Epstein flight log. They're in yeah. Epstein's black book. They both grab people by the pussy. Like whatever your fucking Yeah, whatever it is that you don't like about <laughs> Trump is absolutely true. <laughs> about Bloomberg and worse. And so, worse, yeah. And he and 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 what's scarier is that respectable businessmen and news anchors are like he's you know he's not as bad. Yeah. And that's worse. That's you know what scarier. I'm this morning is like seeing the way people respond to the two of them is like you can understand it really well if you can understand why people like pro wrestling. <laughs> because I think a lot a of face. people. Well, I think a lot of people watch the two of them and they're like they see like being a billionaire the same way they see somebody who's just like yoked and like huge <laughs> muscles and they're yeah. like well i'll never be that strong it's nice to watch these two like titans duke it out you know sure and yeah bloomberg is a face and and trump is a heel but at the end of the day they both work for wwe yeah vince mcmahon is prophesying vince of mcmahon is profiting no matter who wins <laughs> <laughs> this has all been a vince mcmahon yeah uh, surprise we're two people who know about wrestling <laughs> I don't know that much, but I, don't know I, about I know too much. Katie will kill me if she finds out about this. <laughs> that you don't know? <laughs> you don't know that I'm like talking about wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed to watch, <laughs> to talk about wrestling without me. Um. All right, let's talk about Candyman. 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 Um. Yeah, so Candyman is what we're talking about this uh, this evening. Um, 1992 Candyman. Horror movie. Starring... Um, uh, Virginia Madsen, Tony Todd, um, and uh, Cassie Lemons. Um, okay. Bernadette, her friend. Yeah, not a lot of people in this movie. Not a lot very, of big names. Very nice, compact cast. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, just not a lot of people in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I don't mean, like, names and whatever. I just mean literally, like, in terms of how many people they actually had to pay to, like, talk on screen. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Not a lot of people. It's a it's a very little movie. Um, and I don't think it was... It's The budget was $8 million. Even at the time, that was pretty low. That was pretty low, yeah. Um, and uh, so this movie was written and directed by Bernard Rose, who is a sort of... You haven't seen anything else he made, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, he did he did, make the sequels? Uh no, um, <laughs> so he 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 basically made nothing else you've heard of. Um, Interesting. And and yeah, so but but it's a um he was friends with Clive Barker. He read that short story, The Forbidden, that he yeah. wrote, which is n- is a uh, sort of about like class in the um 
it's in liverpool yeah yeah in like london in like proper society yeah and uh, it's liverpool and he was like well what if we took this and made it about like american class and uh then he wrote the screenplay and then got it made. Um, have you read the the short? I have not. I haven't either. But it's interesting because the thing that I watched this week instead of a movie, I've been watching. I think we've talked about this in person, but not on the show. But I've been watching Shameless. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is I haven't seen. It's fine. It's like kind of just like dumb, like enjoyable television bullshit. But the thing that's interesting about it, like the politics of it, are abysmal. But the thing I find interesting <laughs> is that adapting work from england seems to like translate really well to chicago like this movie is a chicago ass movie and shameless is a chicago ass show and they're both adaptations of british work about class because i think that like it's interesting because in the american midwest you see segregation in a really intense way that you don't see it as much here where like in new york we have huge neighborhoods that are you know uh like like for lower income people and we have like a whole borough we have the bronx that was just like wrecked by highways and and you know that's where poor people live whereas in like chicago and i notice it in st louis a lot Mm -hmm. and um like cities like that it'll be like these small pockets that are like right fucking next to each other and so you get this like really intense class conflict on a day-to-day basis where like in st louis near where my sister-in-law lives there's like this street called uh like floral that is is a floral it's something like that but it's it's million dollar huge mansions like gigantic buildings and like the most gorgeous buildings you ever saw and then two blocks over is just like blight and then two more blocks over (laughs) is the highway and Whoa. like that's how it works that's crazy and so i think that like it's kind of interesting because it's it's similar in england i think where you have these kind of like old beautiful neighborhoods where like the wealthy have lived forever and mm-hmm. then you have you know council estates you have like these like huge blocks of just public housing right that it's not like here where you have these like giant towers that stick out that you can see from anywhere in the neighborhood like in england it's like a neighborhood is all public housing. Mm. Um, and I think, I guess that's why they always pick Chicago is cause, cause it's so stark. Cause it's so stark. And because the neighborhoods are right next to each other. Whereas here there's more of a blend. It's like, like in South New York, side, it's North like, side. it'll, but even in, among the South side, like in the South side, there'll be a neighborhood that's really rough. And then right next to it will be like, a fairly okay community hmm. and then there'll be like a wealthy ass community weird and they're all right next to each other and they're like blocks away yeah yeah brooklyn is new york is so sort of stratified it, it's like very weirdly meshed mm-hmm. where it's like harlem is right there but then like right above that is like it kind of eases into inwood right. and then like right below that it's like Upper West Side and Upper East Side was sort of so it's all very hard to do in New York I think because it's not as stark yeah um or if it is stark there's like some geographical reason like in in mm-hmm. the Bronx there's like um uh, a river. Riverdale is like super nice but it's also on top of a gigantic cliff yeah <laughs> and then once you get down to the bottom of the cliff it's poor again yeah yeah um so. Let's let's quickly recap the movie. Yes, yes. yes it's sorry. actually not that. Let's not talk about cities for a fucking hour. <laughs> oh yeah, I was starting to feel some city sideline stuff and happening. Uh, <laughs> but um, 
no it is interesting i mean like that's why people get into urban planning um but okay so this movie is about helen lyle helen is a grad student who is sirens married to her professor mm. uh, <laughs> um and she's writing a, a thesis her her grad thesis on urban legends yeah. and so she gets a little obsessed with the concept of this thing called the candy man um and she's trying to write this thing with her friend bernadette who's also a grad student about urban legends about specifically Candyman. and um so she's you know doing research she decides that she wants to so the candy man is a specifically um black urban legend mm-hmm. um and for, uh, among poor people and a lot of it has come from this place called Cabrini Green, which is a real place, a yeah. real project in Chicago. If you haven't mm-hmm. heard about it, it's notorious, and its name is sort of like a, a metonym for terrible housing projects, basically, right. just like very rough neighborhoods or something. That's like it's a Cabrini Green, but this is the one. It actually doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, they, they tore did, it down. They tore it down. Yeah, they tore down most of their towers. Yeah, so that so she goes there. And her black friend is just like, do not do this. We shouldn't go there. <laughs> like, um, you don't want to do this. But they go anyway, and they sort of find out that the apartment that uh, Candyman killed someone in is vacant, and they explore it, and there's a lot of weird, tri- like, urban exploring through yeah, this and weird... Yeah, so they're, and they're kind of coming from a perspective of trying to use, like, urban legend in the same way they use, like, early religion where you're looking at like what what you would perceive as like an unexplainable event yeah. being explained by you know something you know m- mystical or whatever like something magic that doesn't actually exist you, like would we'll get to this but yeah. um yeah the point is that they're they're looking at these urban legends and like how they explain what's really happening and so they're coming to Cabrini Green like there was a real murder here by a real person yeah and these people think it was Candyman so they explore around they um oh she's already she comes up with some idea about like the mirror yes in her own house she finds out that her own apartment building was made under the same plans as the cabrini green public housing units but for some reason the real estate changed hands and they made some minor changes and made it condos um sort of upscale condos that her grad professor uh, lives in with yeah. her because they're married um and so she f- shows her that um there's a lot of cuts like a lot of weird cheapo stuff in the mo- in the in her house where the bathroom mirror cabinet is just there's no wall there it's just like you can pop out the uh mirror and then push out the other mirror and there's a hole to the other apartment right which i don't know if that's a real thing or what i don't know but it's a big part of this movie yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> They do it a lot. They do it a lot. Um, yeah. So they do that. They go to Caprini Green and do that. And she climbs through the hole in the wall and finds a lot of insane shit. Lots of murals of what looks like, you know, men screaming and yeah. sort of these horror movie things. And then um, they take pictures and they leave. They meet a woman who's like, why are you fucking here? They, everyone thinks they're cops because they're dressed in their like big scully coats um yeah. <laughs> and uh <laughs> from the x-files yeah. um they're dressed like 90s cops um but they're not cops and they're like hey we're not uh we're not we're just wanting to ask people questions about the candy man and so um the woman who lives in that hotel is like yeah you know 
people died and it's very scary. I'm just trying to like raise my kid and um, she has a little baby. Um, and then they move on from that. And so the little boy, there's a little boy that they meet um, who tells him like, oh, if you're looking for Candyman, I know where Candyman is. And um, she's like, oh, yeah, show me where Candyman is. She comes back to the place. Yeah. And they go to like a little public bathroom. Right. And the little kid, apparently, according to the little kid, a kid died in this public bathroom and uh, Candyman killed him. And he's very afraid of the Candyman. Yeah, and everybody, so, everybody at Cabrini Green treats Candyman like a real person, like undisputable fact. Like this is a real thing that's happening to us. Right. And so she is treating it like that's true. So kind of. But she doesn't really believe it. So she like is treating these people like, hey, I'll, I'll protect you. Don't worry about it. And uh, she goes into this place and starts taking pictures. There's shit smeared on the wall. Yeah. It smells terrible. Um everything is awful and then as she's taking pictures uh she lifts one of the uh um toilet lids and it's just full of bees yeah. <laughs> and it's weird and gross and then she like tries to leave and then a gang comes in and a guy wearing a leather trench coat and a hook in his hand is like here you're looking for ca- candy man well you found him bitch and then hits her in the face yeah so they find out that this guy has been taking the legend of candy man and putting it on himself and being like, I'm Candyman. But he's a real guy. He's just a, a, an asshole. Yeah. Um, and she goes to the cops and... Immediately goes immediately to the cops. Immediately goes to the cops. <laughs> gets him arrested. The kid is like, I can't fucking trust you. You went to the cops. Right. Uh, I'm at the cops now. The cops yeah. are talking to me. Yeah, exactly. And now everybody in my neighborhood all knows that I went to the cops. Yeah. This is bad for me. Why did you do this? Candyman is going to get me now. Yeah. And she's like, no, I'll protect you. And he's like, no, you won't. No, you and, won't. No, you fucking won't. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you do that? Yeah. Um, and... But, so she starts to like at this point is when she starts to like kind of see the candy man in her in her dreams right no this is right before so she has you know she has the black eye she's like okay that was fucked up we have enough we'll write the thesis and the first time she sees the real candy man the the monster candy man is she's going to her car she has sunglasses on Right, right right and she feels a little dizzy and a an apparition a man in a, a very tall man in a black in a black leather jacket with a ha- instead of a hand he has a hook shows up but i'm gonna pause here because we missed a part they went to dinner her and bernadette went to dinner with her grad student husband and his right, and douchebag friend professor guy who talks to them about uh the candy man he's like you should know he's a guy like the the story of candy man is that he got his hand cut off back in slave times, and then they covered him in bees? Right. It's ba- so the story. <laughs> the story of the Candyman is he's the son of a slave. He was, but he was like upper class somehow. Like he had right, achieved yeah. some sort of like um, his fa- his his ex slave father invented a, a machine and made a lot of money. And so he's a sort of upper class guy. He's an artist. He draws portraits. A very fancy landowner asks him to draw a portrait of his daughter. The daughter and him fell in love, and they had a got he got her pregnant. And then people found out about this. He hired a lynch mob to come lynch Candyman, and they cut his hand off. They smeared his face, his whole body, and honey got stung to stung to death. Um, It was lynching. Yeah, and um, 
Yeah, and I think in the in the book, or or in the one of the sequels, you find out that the Candyman is because he was like covered in honey, like he was sweet. Oh, okay. Um, um, but they don't actually say that in this movie, yeah, no, so it's it's it. actually kind of confusing why his name is Candyman. But it's like because he's he he died covered in honey, um, which is morbid. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that's the story. So she sees the apparition of Candyman, who's like talking to her telekinetically he's not moving his mouth and he's saying like i'm a whisper i'm a dream like i exist in people's minds and like the 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 reason that i'm f- people are afraid of me is because of i shed innocent blood so the fact that you've sort of created the situation he doesn't say it this verbosely but he's basically saying the fact that you created a situation where people now think I'm a real gang member, I'm just a random guy who's doing violence, yeah, means I have to... Pr- yeah. It's taking power away from him. Yeah, because, like, essentially, the the theme of the movie is, like, I guess the power of, like, legend, and so he gains his power by being somebody who people talk about and fear and think of, and then by, by making him a real person, you're taking away that mystique about him, you're, you're adding, like, a real thing to it. Yeah that now that guy's in jail so that's no longer a threat so what happens is she wakes up blacked out covered in blood in the apartment in cabrini green of the the woman who was saying had a child right i was saying i'm just trying to raise my child uh her dog's head is cut off blood is everywhere and the baby's crib is full of blood and the baby is missing yeah so Candyman has taken the baby and she's blamed for the murder of a child and a dog. Uh, oh, and and then the the woman attacks her, and she stabs the woman in in self defense. Yeah. Um. And then they arrest uh, Helen, um, because <laughs> it's, it it yeah. looks like she murdered a dog, a child, and stabbed a woman. Yes. Um. So now they. But supposedly Candyman is responsible for all this. So they take her in. And now she's just treated as an absolute murderer. Yes. And then she uh, sees the Candyman again in in holding, I believe. Oh, no. Um, excuse me. The graduate professor husband bails her out. Right. Yes. And they're like, we're going to fight this. Um, and no one believes her that she didn't do it. Yeah. And they keep like adding this whole element of the, the professor is like cheating on her. But it kind of doesn't really matter. It doesn't at matter. All. <laughs> no. But uh, she gets bailed out. She goes home. Uh, she sees the Candyman again. Uh, this time he like kind of stabs her on the neck and then murders her friend Bernadette. Yep. Uh, so then again, everybody is like, oh, she killed again. Look at her. She can't stop killing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she goes back to jail. And then this time she gets committed. She like wakes up a month later. She's been in the mental hospital for a while now. And then she like uses the candy man she like figures out that she can get the candy man to show up so she uses the candy man to kill the doctor at the insane asylum uh she escapes goes home finds her husband is uh with a new woman of course of course uh and then from here it feels like the movie has about like five or six different endings (laughs) where like it's not really like it never seems to to figure out how it wants to end because mm. she confronts the husband and she's like, this sucks, you suck, fuck you. She leaves. She goes back to Cabrini Green uh, and 
she like goes back through the mirror to the secret room to find the baby. She talks to the candy man and the candy man's like, surprise, it's always been you, Helen. Yeah. It's always been you. And he shows a painting on the wall of somebody who kind of looks like her, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a very good painting. It's not a very honest. good painting. Uh, and then uh, she like somehow ends up in the in the bonfire with the baby. All right, we forgot to mention at the very beginning of the movie they're having a bonfire. Yeah, and it's the like, biggest I, bonfire you ever did see. Yeah, in front of Cabrini Green. Yeah. So she basically Helen goes to Candyman and says like, "We have a deal. Like, you take me, and you set the baby free." She right. wants the baby to go back to the mother. Um, he's like, "All right, I'm taking you." And then she he like covers her in bees and she's screaming. And it's an exquisite pain, just like Clive Barker likes to have, because he's a kinky old gay man. And he, um, and so then she wakes up. There's a lot of waking up. Like he teleports her around a lot, so it right. feels a little disjointed. Like Jeremy was saying, it's like feels like a bunch of endings. Um, and uh, then well, they all feel like natural places to end, right? Where and, like and it could have ended with her, with him putting the bees on her, and then she becomes part of the myth the end you know it could have ended in the fire when he's like now we're gonna die together and our ashes are gonna be one forever and it's like end right but okay. then she's <laughs> she stabs Candyman. they in the chest with a flaming uh steak yeah. and he screams and apparently that's how you kill Candyman. apparently <laughs> and she grabs the <laughs> baby because he was gonna it seems like he was gonna turn on his deal yeah, yeah, yeah he um, absolutely was he was he, he was gonna kill the baby and her um, and and him, I guess, with the fire. So, but she grabs the baby and climbs out through the fu- through the bonfire. Um, the entirety of Cabrini Green is out there watching because they know Candyman's in there, right. and they've set him on fire. But they don't know she and the baby are in there. She grabs the baby, crawls out. Um, the mother is like, "Oh my God, the baby!" So happy to see yeah. the baby. And then she, she dies she's on the fire. Yeah. She's, she's literally so on, fire. on fire. She's like uh, It's actually a pretty good special effect, I have it to is. say. Yeah, it looks very good. She, she looks, looks like Darth Vader. Yeah. She's got her head all burnt off and she's all on fire, but that she, she's protecting the baby. The baby survives. Candyman's dead, she's dead. Then Trevor, the fucking asshole grad student or grad professor, um, is at home and he's set oh well, wait, they're at their funeral. Sorry, sorry, there's they're a at the funeral, funeral, which again, another ending to the movie another they're ending. at the funeral and uh they're <laughs> the regular the body, return of the king then, this uh, movie. the the all of her like white friends are there very few like, though like but almost, very few, nobody. almost nobody's there and i was like, like wow a what a shame she's dead and then a long line of black people just show up to be like yeah you saved us from the candy man okay here have a hook and they throw a hook in the grave another ending yeah <laughs> but surprise not over yet because we have another scene where trevor's back at home now, with his very annoying girlfriend his annoying child bride <laughs> and he's crying in the mirror saying helen 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 but surprise he says it five times right and oh we didn't cover that <laughs> has candy man powers now that's so right she shows up and kills him right and she and, and that's, that's the, the end. end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Recap over. What did you think of the movie? <laughs> uh, so I had seen this movie before. Had you? Yes. Okay. I had seen it uh, in probably in late high school, early college. I don't really remember. Um, and I thought it was a fine. I thought it was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't really get it at the time. I didn't really get what it was going for. It's not scary. There's not a lot of good kills. Uh, in, in terms of like horror movie fandom, right? Like 
is it funny is it exciting are there good kills is there good special effects really not very good movie like in the, on those on that level so that was my take on it decades ago or a decade ago when I saw it this time I was much more interested in it because we went through this whole recap without really talking about what it's very obviously sort of about mm-hmm. and what it's talking about is um how black men are treated yeah um by society how interracial relationships are treated the race politics of this movie are incredibly interesting yeah and what it kind of says about the hubris of white women <laughs> uh and and all of that all the social commentary i thought it was much more entertaining once it kind of gets towards the back half when you sort of like it says what it has to say yeah and then it's sort of just like a plotting horror movie like you're saying it has a bunch of endings it's like yeah i guess that makes sense of what they're trying to say um but it is fairly boring yeah and it's like uh like the more you hear Candyman talk the more ridiculous he is because every single line that he says is something like finally our covenant will understand. <laughs> yeah, it was be, you all along, be Helen. Be my victim. Yeah, uh, yeah, be my victim, Helen. Right. Uh, yeah, I had seen this movie before. I So I told you that I, for the longest time, thought Candyman took place in New Orleans that because is. I saw Candyman 2 first. Yeah. Uh, and I saw it on like one of those FX like all-night horror things when I was a kid. Uh and so I always was like, yeah, it's that horror movie that takes place in New Orleans. Really fun. <laughs> fun movie. The voodoo. Uh, and then me and my old roommate, Scott, we watched this together because, you know, I was, I was, oh, I was leaving for New Orleans. I was going on vacation to New oh. Orleans. And I was like, what's like a good New Orleans movie? Oh, Candyman. We put on Candyman and it's like instantly Chicago. <laughs> this is Chicago. And yeah. you're like, oh, no. <laughs> and then what was I thinking of? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I I liked this movie a lot. Uh, yeah, and watching it again, it is very stupid, but it's really good. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's it's it has huge issues, mm-hmm. some really major issues in terms of special effects, in terms of tone, tone uh, writing. Uh, yeah, I think the dialogue Pl- is shit most of the time. Pretty abysmal in places, but it is. Very worth watching, I think, if not just because it's one of... It, this really feels to me like a a precursor to what Jordan Peele was trying to do yes. with Get Out and Us. Mm-hmm. Because this movie is so strongly... And obviously, I think... And I don't know if anyone really understood this, because I was reading some old like critics, like some, some, some yeah. reviews of it from the time period, and people either liked it or they didn't, but very few people even engaged with the racial aspects of it. And this is two years out from the LA riots and, Mm -hmm. you know, lots of stuff is going on. Uh, No one really seemed to care about that. Right. It sort of felt like maybe that this was a movie kind of just about kind of was like, what if there was a black horror guy? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What would that be like? But I feel like this movie was very much about like, I think the Candyman's powers and what's so weird about it is that like, what it seemed to me was there's a white lady who's trying to figure out this sort of story. And what the story is, is every stereotype about black men. It's, they are Lotharios, they're out to 
get your white women and they're out to castrate you because that's how he kills everyone he castrates them right. with a hook like from their dick off you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, and so it's like totally. all very like this weird sexual pathology of how people treat black men mm-hmm. and then when he gets his hooks in her what happens to her is she's treated like a black man right like she's in the middle of violence and then everything is assumed to be her fault and no one believes her yeah about anything and so it's just like that's what happens like the candy man is a representation of like what if by having sex with this guy you are no longer have the privilege of a white person Mm -hmm. and then it's like now you're just like in this class and you are a poor person and you get treated like shit by the cops. Yeah. And interesting. And I was just like, this is nuts. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> there's definitely like it's it's I think that's a very astute uh, read of this, because I think that like on the surface level, there is very clearly a lot about race and class. There's like it's it's impossible not to notice that like one of the first things they, they jam in your face is that, you know, uh, Cabrini Green uh, or Camini is it? Cabrini Cabrini Green uh, you know when she's uh, when Helen is like looking at this newspaper article about the candy man or whatever there's like a picture of Cabrini Green and there's a picture on the other side and she keeps like um, she's like talking to her to, to Bernadette and she's like do you notice the difference do you notice yeah do you notice what it is that's not Cabrini Green that's this building yeah. which was public housing but then they changed it a little bit and now it's condos like it's impossible not to notice like <laughs> what they're pointing out here is that like a, like yeah it it's i don't know i one of the things that i kept thinking about during this is like what a great movie this is to watch right now yeah like exactly this moment because of what's kind of come into the debate around the the president the presidential uh primary right mm. um in recent days and and this will date this episode in an insane way sorry but, it's fine <laughs> you know in recent days the uh culinary 226 the union yeah yeah um they they've come out really hard against medicare for all and that's become what the debate in Nevada is about, right? Is Bernie sticking to his guns saying, Medicare for all, no fucking compromises, that's it. And Pete saying, Medicare for those who want it, you know, not a universal program. And this movie is so good to watch right now because of how it portrays public housing and the failures of public housing. Because what happened with public housing, why public housing sucks, is because it's not a universal program. Yeah. Because it is ghettoized. It's for poor people. That's how they made it. Yes. Like public housing is there exclusively for the poorest people. You have to be poor to get into it. And because of that, and because of the fact that they made these gigantic towers that everybody can see from everywhere, you can identify immediately where the poor people are. Yeah. The reason why you need universal programs is because it takes that aspect out of it. You can't. Because if it doesn't affect rich people, no one's going to fund it. Exactly. And so this is a movie to watch right now to remind you why you can't fucking compromise a Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. We all need to stick to our fucking guns on this. There's no Medicare for those who want it. There's no, you know, what if maybe, you know, like all or fucking nothing. And that's yeah. it. That's how nationalization needs to work with everything. Yeah. Like, I mean, Medicare for all is the thing that's on the table, the thing that we can can win and probably will win within the next four years. But we're talking food for all, 
house housing yes. for all, shelter for all, clothing for all. Like these things are absolutely necessary yeah. as basic human rights. Don't fucking back down on the universal angle of these. The same thing for the fucking, you know, like billionaires shouldn't be able to send their kids to college for free. Yes, they fucking should. Yes, they fucking <laughs> yeah. should. These Everyone are free needs colleges. To. That's what they are. That's how you stop billionaires from <laughs> happening. Um, yeah. So this is, de- you're right. Like this is a movie that shows like ghettoizing things is not, is a part of the reason that it happens. Like, it's yes. it's a part of the plan. Yeah, like, um, ghettos perpetuate themselves, essentially, yeah. is the idea. Um, and so I think you're right, you're right about that this movie has a Return of the King thing to it. But I thought basically everything has a really very poignant thing, if you look at it from a certain perspective. Because, like, Bernadette's character is there to be, like, she's sort of a... She's a Bernadette is a black woman, her best friend who she's writing this thesis with. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has a perspective of like she knows the danger way more than Helen does, right? Virginia Madsen's character, but she's still outside of it. Like, she's so, like the racial politics are sh- and class politics are different because she is a black woman, but she's not that poor. Mm-hmm. Like, she's a grad student, yeah, and so she she's like. She's even more afraid of it than Virginia. Yeah, is. there's a scene where they're on their way to the building, and she's like loading up her purse with mace and, and a, a taser a t- yeah. and like another type of mace. She's like putting several things into her bag, getting ready to go there. Right, because the stereotype has definitely worked on her. Like mm-hmm. the villainy of the poor black poor specifically, she's she's seen it she's seen the the sort of violence of it and i think if there's a criticism of this movie it's that it sort of accepts that Candyman is real right mm-hmm. like the and i one of my favorite things about it is that so that there if you think of Candyman as the concept the racist concept of black men mm-hmm. right there's a guy who's like i'm gonna be that that's how i get power I be everything you're afraid of, the mm-hmm. news, the media, you know, like I'm, you know, that's what a gang member is. Some guy who's like, if this is what you think of me as a person, I'm going to be that thing. And that's how right. I get my power. He like literally has a leather coat and a, and a hook. Yeah. You know, it's so like, there's a um, lot of little things that like reinforce this idea of like, this is what Candyman is. And this is why it happens. And I think the ending of what happens is interesting because I think you could criticize it as a white savior movie. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Well, I think that there's the reason why Bernadette is there for the most part is to keep that criticism off because otherwise this is literally just about a white woman showing up to a black housing project to be like, hey, why is it that the police never investigated this murder? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and <laughs> and it's also like, it's hard not to notice the fact that like the whole myth of this, like hinges on the fact that the police did no investigation into the murder that At she all. initially went to because so we forgot to say this in the recap but in the Candyman mythology the way that Candyman shows up is you say Candyman in a mirror five times yeah and then he shows up behind you it's like Bloody Mary uh but essentially like knowing that that's what the myth is knowing that everybody in Cabrini Green thinks it was the Candyman not a dude dressed like the Candyman yeah the real one <laughs> and it works. Yeah. The the fact that like anybody would go to this murder scene and not, I don't know, take a look at the fucking mirror. <laughs> <laughs> because
because the whole thing is that she opens the door. It's not even like in her place where she has to pull the mirror out and push the other one it's out. It's just a hole. There's just a hole in the back of the mirror. Right. So this whole thing hinges on the fact that like cops don't investigate murders when they happen in the projects because to them and to these women at the beginning, that's just what happens at Cabrini Green. Right. Somebody dies there every day. Yeah. The little kid says that. Yeah. The gang members in the front at the beginning say that, like, they don't, no one cares about us. Yeah. Because they don't. And I think what's interesting is the movie never says whether the actual Candyman or the fake Candyman did the original murder. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter. Um, because they're the same thing, I think. Like, right. they, they are the representation of, like, this sort of ev- evil sort of crime yeah, and uh, in some stereotype. Ways she kind of like at the end of it. There's also a question of like, did she just do all of this shit? Right, she could have. Um, but I think I think the ending is so she tries to take on the blame, right? Like she's like, okay, I will take the blame to save this kid, this this black boy. Right. right? Sort of like the idea is, is like, well, if he Candyman's a stereotype, then like, I'm going to, I want this woman to have her child. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> I don't, I don't care. Like I'm going to kill the little kid. Right. And so I think that if there's a metaphor that's kind of on the nose about this is like, she doesn't get to make things right because she kind of set this all in motion. Right. Um, she doesn't get to make things right until she understands that she cannot be the hero of anything. Like she has to kill herself. She has to completely like give in to it and like take all of the blame and save this one like black child. Right. Um, and she doesn't get to be a she hero. Yeah. She doesn't she's get like to this. Ex- uh, if anything, she like. I mean, at the end of it, she's a villain. She's a bad guy. Like, yeah, she becomes. She shows up again to murder the guy. Yeah, she becomes the Candyman's like right hand lady. So I think like all of her white friends turn on her immediately, and then I think the thing about the funeral where like the entirety of Cabrini Green shows up mm-hmm. is not so much that she's a savior of this one black kid, but now she's one of them. That right. she's sort of. The, her entire class and race has turned against her and and sort of and now they're like well this person died because of this the same oppression because she was treated like these people like us right? right i think that's what the movie's trying to say um maybe yeah it's, I don't know. it's it's kind of hard it's because like, it's like it's but it's got like five endings yeah. exactly so and it's it, like it's kind of hard to tell where somebody was just like this like if it was just like the studio coming in and saying like we need like a more positive ending it's here. hard to say if it's critical of a say of a like a white savior or it is right it could be either i think and i think i mean i think that's there's definitely like there's definitely criticism of a white savior in the bonfire scene because i think that it's pretty clear that she's saying like but you said that, like, if I put myself out there, yeah. I could save black children. You, <laughs> yeah. know, you said that if I put myself at risk, if I, you know, gave money to charity, yeah. that it would help black children. And then he's like, surprise, bitch. It doesn't work. This is way way bigger than us. It's a huge fire. Like, what were you (laughs) thinking? It's a huge fire. (laughs) There's so much fire. Obviously, (laughs) you weren't going to save him like this. Right. 
Uh, so but then it's like, but it's 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 hard to tell because it's it's the um, don't hug me, I'm scared thing where it's like intervention from other people involved in this project. It's hard to tell where the original creator's vision ends and where theirs begins because it's totally reasonable to think that the reason why it feels like it has so many endings is because it actually does is because that's where the story was supposed to end. And then they were like, no, that's not clear enough. Uh, Have her crawl out. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) And it's, and And like, we can't kill a baby in this movie. (laughs) It's not, totally. That's a huge problem. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not Pat, right? Like, it's not like there's no metaphor where it's like, and this is what it means. Yeah. It's a little bit confused at the end. And I think it, but I, I think it's very interesting no matter what it's trying to say or what it originally tried to say. Like, um, I think it definitely raises a lot of interesting questions. Um, and one thing I read about this movie, uh, before we talked about it was, uh, Virginia Madsen said that the director of this movie, who's a white guy, by the way, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that matters to you, but it's, you know, it's not, I said it was like sort of a precursor yeah, to Jordan Peele. It's Ari Peel. Aster. No, <laughs> yeah, it's Ari Aster. <laughs> no, it's a, he's a British white guy mm-hmm. um, who did nothing after this. Um, that matters. We should actually watch some. It might be funny. But um, Virginia Madsen said that this, there was going to be a sequel to this movie, that the writer and director of this movie wanted to write a sequel that was a prequel. Okay. That was about the original, like, lynching yeah. Of Candyman. And I was kind of hoping we were going to get like some flashbacks. Right. Yeah, because it sounded really interesting. Yeah. But the studio was basically, she just straight up said like the studio would not make an interracial love story. Because well, it's the 90s. Yeah. And they were just like, no. Huh. Um, and so I would have liked to seen that movie. Yeah. Um, There's a straight up prequel to the Candyman about like, this is about... <laughs> a guy who is lynched for these reasons and then haunts people because right. of it. Um, so here's here's a thing. Uh, this year, there's supposed to be a soft reboot slash sequel type thing. Yeah, from Jordan Peele. Oh, is it? Yeah. So, oh. Supposedly. Really? Yeah. I'm very excited for that. Me too. Because Damn. Oh, the- wow. I went... <laughs> Zero to 60 on that. I was like ready to be like, man, I don't think it's going to be very good. I'm so stoked for that. According to Wikipedia this year. uh, Oh, no. Okay. Written by Jordan Peele, directed by someone named uh, Nia DaCosta, a a woman director, um, which you hate. So it won't be good. Yeah. yeah, So he wrote it and he uh, supposedly I heard. Oh, no. So uh, I think Lakeith Stanfield was in talks to play one of the characters, but he doesn't seem to be in it anymore. Um, but yeah, he was going to, he wanted to do it and he wanted to direct it, but mm-hmm. I guess he passed it on to Nia DaCosta, who is, will be one of her first features, I think. Yeah. Her first feature. So what else has she done? Just shorts or like um, TV stuff? It looks like she has done. Oh, sorry. I lied. Uh, she did a feature called little woods. Okay. Starring Tessa Thompson and Lily James. Um, and this will be her second feature. She did Top Boy, that show that Adam's obsessed with. Um, it's like a British The Wire. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, she directed some episodes of that, and this will be her second film. Okay. Um, 
And yes, yeah, so it'll be Jordan Peele's. But Jordan Peele's writing it. He wrote it. Yeah. Nice. This is the Candyman reboot, and he's talked about it before, saying like, "I'd really like to revisit that." And Tony Todd was like, "I want Jordan Peele to do it." Yeah. Um, I was thinking the whole time I was watching it too that this feels like it deserves some sort of remake because it didn't get what it deserved back then. That's right. It really didn't because I guess maybe the country wasn't ready for it or maybe because horror wasn't at a place yet where they could really understand something like this. Like 1992 horror, like what's even coming out at that point? Uh, Jason, Freddy. But it's like uh, the tail end of those. Yeah. Like you're already like Jason takes Manhattan or even uh, further than that. Uh, we definitely had like I think H2O around that point. The H2O Halloween, is Halloween no H- H2O is after Scream. Really? I'm pretty sure it comes after Scream because I think that Scream kind of like breaks this new slasher thing, and then H2O is almost like it's like a like a Family Guy Simpsons Family Guy thing. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Where, I see what like, you're saying. Uh, like it like, like kind of reinfluences. Yeah, itself. exactly. Uh, I mean, there really wasn't much at this point. I mean, New Nightmare was uh, '94. Okay. Yeah. Uh, mm, Science of the Lambs, I guess, was '91. Oh, okay. So, yeah. you know, ca- Jacob's Ladder. It started getting cerebral or really campy. Like tre- right. Tremors was 1990. And so maybe that's kind of part of the problem with this movie is that it can't. It's it can't decide which one it is if it's a cerebral or a campy. Because it is very, like, it has something to say and it has ideas, but it's also so silly sometimes. Like, <laughs> the way the Candyman moves is so funny every time. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> there's the scene where he, like, where he kills her psychiatrist in the in the mental institution by just, like, appearing behind him, like, twisting this hook into him and then being like, all right, see you later. And he, like, whoosh, <laughs> like, flies backwards with, like, his legs and his arms pointed completely outward like he's a shooting star. Yeah. And he just, like, shoots through the window. It's a really weird effect. I kinda, it's so funny. I kind of love it. It's yeah. so funny and weird looking. I've never really seen anything like that before or since. He just gets, like, yanked out of the window yeah. by an invisible string. He's it's like, um, so funny. Like in uh, Django Unchained when somebody gets <laughs> shot and they just, like, fly sideways. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking also kind of like it feels like something out of like a Rick and Morty like interdimensional cable <laughs> thing where somebody just keeps like saying epic stuff and then flying out a <laughs> <the> window. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I think it it's it's a weird movie in that it's. I feel like the writer director had so much to say. Mm-hmm. Like we can do what Hellraiser was trying to do about like homosexuality right. with race and it'll be crazy and but and then everyone was like but it's a horror movie and that wasn't like a thing at the time mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't really work as a horror movie yeah it's not very scary um it's not scary at all yeah Candyman is like silly and like just a guy and then it like it takes a long time to get to horror stuff yeah, it's kind of a long... It feels like the X-Files at first. Maybe it's just because Virginia Madsen looked a lot like Scully in this movie. Right. Um, but they're sort of just wandering around talking about the legend or whatever. Yeah. So if you're not really interested in that and like it's sort of po- sociopolitical messaging, it's kind of boring. Um, the acting isn't great. So it's a weird movie because it has so much ideas. It's like bursting with concepts and... and what would later become, I think, really good movies and things like Get Out and Us. Right. Um, 
but doesn't stick the landing unfortunately yeah it's it's technically poor yeah i think is its biggest fault i do love some of the scenes though like when she wakes up in the woman's house and there's like a dog's head chopped off yeah. and that woman is screaming like that feels really visceral and and strange and mm-hmm. you're like what's going on and it's kind of scary not scary but it's tense and weird and you haven't really seen much like that also i just like the idea of doing a horror movie in a projects Mm -hmm. um the like the sort of um the setting is really cool and interesting looking it's not really like anything else um the like fake out of somebody being him in real life and then him being real anyway it's clever and interesting clever and interesting something i don't like is it's really not clear what rules he plays by in terms of like physicality. <laughs> like, uh, can you stab the candy man? Not clear. Yeah. Do, is he asleep at one point? She like gets the jump on him because he's just asleep. <laughs> is he alive? <laughs> is he alive? How does that work? <laughs> he's covered in bees all yeah. the time. Yeah. That's the other thing is like, if they wanted, like they do make some sequels to this, you know, and they, they yeah, try to make it into sequels. a franchise. And I think part of the problem, why it didn't pick up, why this didn't work out for them is probably because they have to choose one. Is it hooks or is it bees? It's got to be one or the other. Yeah. If you want to be like a franchise killer, like it clearly didn't work as a cerebral thing. Nobody really took it as one. So you got to be a franchise killer. You got to pick one. Is it hooks or bees? <laughs> and, and they never can make they don't really mind. commit yeah. one way or the other. <laughs> I think it makes sense if it's like the bees is to bring them into his like... Sort yeah. of, sort of like a vampire, right? Because the, because va- I guess it's all teeth with vampires, because because I think I think Candyman is sort of supposed to be like a vampire, uh-huh. where he like seduces white women with right. his be my victim, yeah, with his you know charm or whatever, and then covers them in bees and brings them into his right. lair or whatever, and then the way he kills people is the hook, and that would make yeah. sense, I think. The thing is. They gotta pick bees. The bees are actually in his origin story. The and hook isn't. Yeah, there's they no like reason. cut his hand off, but like he dies after that. It's not like he like lives with a hook for a little bit or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah, <laughs> it isn't completely thought through as a horror movie. That's the yeah. pro. I think that's the problem. He doesn't. It but it's like, what else is it gonna be? Yeah. <laughs> like, how else do you do the candy? And especially this is you know, the '90s. So how do you do bees? Like. There's a the very I think the bees look really good actually. Well, the bees are real bees, and that's yeah, they're insane. Mostly real bees, yeah. I don't know how they were doing that. It seems horrifying. Yeah, with him with the bees in his mouth and shit. That's Wild. not CGI. I don't yeah. know how they did that. But the opening scene where the bees are all over the city. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? It yeah, looks that like all the like green shit. screened. Yeah. It's really bad. Um, also, one we always forget to talk about it. Philip Glass does the score to this movie, and if there's a reason you should watch the movie, it's because the score is amazing. I think it's really <laughs> funny a lot of the time. I don't think it's very good. I love Philip Glass, and I think it, I don't know if it works. It's not scary. That's one of the things about it's it. It's like so dramatic. Yeah, and like it'll it's like huge and epic over like there's a lot Walking. of there's a lot of shots in this movie like kind of like the joke I was trying to make earlier about thinking the movie is set in New Orleans because it's so the sequel <laughs> and then the beginning of it is like it's Chicago yeah. is because this movie is so about Chicago yeah. like they love showing you Chicago and there's so many scenes in this that it'll be like like the tiniest little mouse of a score during like what's happening and then it'll be like the buildings will be like it's weird <laughs> It's a weird score, yes. but that's Philip Glass for you, and I like that kind of shit. But it is 
very out of place in this very mediocre film. Right. Um, but it's a it's a it feels it's Koyana Scotsy, you know. It's weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I we didn't talk about the fact that I mean, like, I definitely was pointing it out in the recap that like her she's dating her grad. Oh yeah, professor, and that feels to me that feels like she's being victimized in one way, but it's fine because he's white. Mm-hmm. And then when she's like being victimized by the candy man, everyone freaks out. Um, I feel like that's supposed to be like kind of a dichotomy. Right, and they do have him cheat on her, and maybe that's kind of part of it too. Yeah, but I don't know if that's very successful to me because like everyone the, says it's thinks it's fine and it's like am i supposed to think it's fine that she's married to her professor i mean the thinking it's fine thing is one thing but it's also like the movie very clearly shows us the candy man is a supernatural killer <laughs> it's a yeah. different thing yeah. <laughs> yeah so in a lot of ways i think it's yeah i think i, th- I, I think it's confused on what it was able to say in 1990. Two, yeah, nineteen ninety-two. Um, yeah, what it's able to say in nineteen ninety-two is is limited, and so I'm really excited for Jordan Peele and and Nia de whatever her name is. Nia Khalifa. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nia DaCosta. I'm excited for Nia DaCosta and Jordan Peele's version of this movie. Yeah, I'd love to see this get some sort of like modern sheen on it because it has really interesting ideas. Yeah. Um, and. And I think it it deserves a lot better as a story, a yeah. Clive Barker story and the screenplay. So I guess obviously we both recommend it. Yeah, I think I think you should know what you're getting into. Yeah, which, which is, is largely a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> largely a uh, mediocre to below average horror flick that is not a good. It's a bad horror movie. It's a sort of mediocre drama. Mm-hmm. And is only elevated by having very interesting things to say um, about a variety of issues, um, and then sort of saying them in a way that I don't think would have would be revisited again until like five years ago. Yeah. Um, so it's very interesting as a precursor to those things, and there's some fun stuff in it. Um, yeah, I think it's worth watching, if not just for the scene where he flies out the window. It's so good. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 not a good movie overall. It's kind of really honestly... slow for a lot of it. It there's a lot of like, do I really care this much about like the procedure of writing a thesis? Like they mm-hmm. they they're too interested in what is never like they never really explain what their thesis is necessarily they're just like studying urban legend and apparently every academic in America is studying urban <laughs> legend along with them. Uh, there's a lot of bullshit up top before you get to like the cool stuff. Right. And that stuff is kind of affecting and, and, and frustrating. I always, whenever there's like a movie where there's people who are not being believed or people who get arrested mm-hmm. uh, and have to go to prison i get like really annoyed and like frustrated and i'm like i get, that always gets me for whatever reason right um so that stuff is very affecting to me um and it's very be- they're very believably cops you know they're just like we don't give a shit right. about you um and that stuff works for me um but yeah 
I think there are some real good gems in this, like the scene, like I said, where the mother is freaking out and thinks that she killed her baby. Um, some of the acting from Virginia Madsen is okay in certain places. Yeah. Um, Tony... Todd. Tony Todd, very bad. <laughs> Extremely bad. <laughs> and not stress enough how bad of an actor he is in this. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot to work with, unfortunately. No, but I do I mean, think like, this scene... He just can't stop chewing scenery. Like, he just loves saying his lines. Oh, yeah. Well, I think the best time... The best thing about the Candyman, besides the flying out the window, is the first time you see him, where he's she thinks he's like a regular guy, but then like the surrealness of the scene starts like creeping in, right. where he's like either floating and like not moving his mouth. It's like an anime. It feels like an anime scene, right? Where he's just like looking. Oh, there's at that the- funny ass scene where he like floats down from the ceiling and he's like, "Give me a kiss, yeah, an exquisite <laughs> kiss." And then like somebody like comes in the door. And he like floats a few inches to the side <laughs> and then floats further down. <laughs> it's, I'm telling you, the way he moves in this movie is so funny. Like I get it's supposed to be like surreal and weird and whatever, but it's like mostly just very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have to agree. Sometimes it works. Mostly it doesn't. Mostly it doesn't. Or it works, but in the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. When she see when she's tied down and he like, like lowers on yeah. top of her like Mission Impossible, like Mission Impossible does not work. But I get what they're going for. Her and goes further down. <laughs> <laughs> he should have just disappeared. <laughs> Why did they make him float casually past her? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh oh, people uh, are here. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. So, you know, if you want to watch a movie uh, that sort of feels like a get out type of movie, but isn't good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you ever wish from... get out wasn't good? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know why we're recommending this because it sounds like we hate it, but it's 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 super really interesting. interesting. There's yeah. a lot to there's a lot to chew on. Yeah. Uh, if you can get past uh, the crunchy exterior. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what metaphor is this? What if it's a food? <laughs> Um, it's like if it was an almond joy but it was made out of nails <laughs> um i i th- i think it's definitely worth a while it's fun it's it's, a, it's fun and you it's have a, fun when it's good and you have fun when it's bad and i gotta say folks if you're interested in cities great <laughs> views of early 90s chicago it's got lots of helicopters scenes lots yeah. of crane shots a lot of big big bird's eye shots which That's, you gotta know i'm a fan he's a big fan a big fan <laughs> Love to see it. <laughs> All right. So check out Candyman. It's yeah. a fun time. Um, and this has been Generation Loss. Thank you for spending your time with us. <laughs> yep. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you'd like to help us out, please check out our Patreon. If you'd like to hear more bonus episodes where we do the movie news now. We, yeah. We do them at... So it, far, we've only talked about the Academy Awards, but we did it twice. And that's worth something. <laughs> and uh, it won't be the next time. We won't Who be knows? A, maybe. Let's keep talking about the Academy Awards. Something could happen. Let's start about the start talking about the 2020 Oscars. Um, what's what's it gonna be? What's no. it gonna be? <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll do. Mo- a strong contender, the gentleman. Oh, I don't is know what that is. The gentleman, the, yeah. the Guy Ritchie movie. I haven't seen it. No, I don't. Know. I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Um, oh, you know what we're gonna do though? Remember how we did the uh, ratings? 
Price is Right rules. Oh yeah. For the Oscars or for the January movies. Oh yes. Um, we're gonna do the results of that. All right. Uh, next I, time behind the paywall. Because I have it all on. I have it all in my notes. <laughs> um, because I'm a huge nerd. Um, but anyway, yeah. Check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash generation loss. Uh, if you want to help us out a little more, go to Apple Podcasts, rate and review us. It really helps people find the show. Follow us on Twitter at GenLostPod, at Kinematography, at Jeremy Thunder. Uh, and we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Well, it was it was notorious. Um, and it felt... Um, it felt important to see it. As a matter of fact, I'm very grateful that I saw it, you know, while it was there. And um, it was interesting. I mean, we didn't really have problems. I, remember, I do remember somebody shooting the generator. Um, I remember that kind of being like um, the the thing that happened that was that shook everybody a little bit. It's a little It was edgy. It was probably. Um, Maybe not as traumatic for me as for uh, some other people, you know, but um, yeah, it, it was interesting. It was truly interesting and it felt like you were, it felt like we were someplace really, you know what I mean? It was like, this is, this is a real location. It helped to kind of get the vibe of the whole thing.